Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. Books. Where would we be without books? Where would we be without good old Zinsenberg? It's a rhetorical question, sir. But where would we be without books? From KCRW and KCRW.com, I'm Michael Silverblatt. And this is Bookworm. Today, I am hosting a very, very special show. The poet who, during his lifetime, was the greatest influence, positive and negative, on American poetry, that poet was John Ashbery. He left behind some work that was... Most of it, the work he was involved with at the time of his death, people thought that John Ashbery in his final years was writing only short poems. This book, which is called Parallel Movement of the Hands, is composed of five unfinished longer works. It's edited by Emily Skillings, a poet who is one of my two guests today, and she is joined by John Yao, also a poet and an editor, and both of them brilliant about the work of John Ashbery. John Yao was a student of John Ashbery's all the way back at the time Ashbury was teaching at Brooklyn College. And after being one of his foremost students, he became a best friend. So all of us, myself included, are people who have been taught, influenced by John Ashbury. I have to confide in you that any book John Ashbury mentioned whether that was Raymond Roussel, Henry Green, Ivy Compton Burnett, many, many others, because John was a conversationalist and he'd drop the names of the books he'd like and I'd run out and read them. They are the composition of my secret and favorite library. Now, I want to ask John Yao, how many years ago was it that you were Ashbury's student? I started the fall of 75 before he had won any prizes. So he was, there were people in the class that didn't know who John Ashbury was. He happened to just be the poet teaching creative writing at Brooklyn College. So I actually went there to study with them. Now tell me, how did you know who John Ashbery was? I was at Bard College in the late 60s and studying with the poet Robert Kelly, who's then published by Black Sparrow Press. Robert Kelly had done an anthology called The Controversy of Poets and had included work by uh, John in it. And then when I was at Bard College. Black Sparrow published a number of books that John did, including Fragment and others. And I started reading all the poets associated with the New York School, Kenneth Koch, uh, Frank O'Hara. Now, Emily, you were John Ashbery's assistant. And I assume at that time you already knew his work. How did that happen? I knew the poet Marcella 
Durand. She had been a kind of mentor to me in undergrad. And I got this wonderful email one day that changed the course of my life. And it was very simple. It was like, Emily, would you like to be John Ashbury's assistant? I was his assistant um, and he's looking for a new one. And I, of course, said, yes, I'll drop everything. Amazing. And as it says in the introduction, you know, when I went in for the interview, I interviewed with Ashbury's husband, David Kermani, and David said, oh, well, you won't meet Mr. Ashbury today because he was writing his preface to his translation of Rembo's Illuminations. But I heard the clicking of his typewriter in the next room and it became this kind of, it made him even larger than life. Of course, when I finally did meet him, I immediately discovered that he was one of the sweetest people to be in the presence of and all of my nerves just kind of melted away. My first social meeting with John Ashbery and David Kermani was at the home of John Yao, who was making a dinner party. I'll never forget Ashbery saying to John, I didn't know you go for Prosecco. I was... (laughs) (laughs) I had once done a public interview with John Ashbery, and he did... What was his specialty? He answered carefully none of the questions, not a one. (laughs) So I was very afraid of seeing him again because he didn't like to talk about his work. And at that evening, at John Yao's house, I fell in love with John Ashbery and with David Kermani. They were heroes to me. Ashbery was hilariously funny. I thought that he was one of the most extraordinary conversationalists I'd ever met. Was he as funny when you were with him, Emily? Oh, he was incredibly funny. I was thinking about him in film so much recently, and one of the things, he he would quote films constantly in in his letters, and one of his favorite things to quote was from the W.C. Fields film, It's a Gift, the line, what about my kumquat? (laughs) (laughs) Um, This book, about which we're speaking, which is comprised of the posthumous work of John Ashbery, Five Unfinished Longer Works, is called Parallel Movement of the Hands, and it's published by Echo Press. And I have to say, I couldn't wait to have it in my hands. Emily Skillings, its editor, was very generous in getting me interim drafts and galleys and even a finished copy of the hardcover book. The first long poem is called The History of Photography. The second is called The Art of Finger Dexterity. Those of you who ever learned to play the piano well probably had exercise books by Cherney. That's the place where things like Five Easy Pieces came, and he wrote a book of teaching, a pianist, finger dexterity. Ashbery could teach himself to do anything. This would range from a sestina to a book-length epic poem called Flowchart. I don't deny 
that it took me eight years at least to learn how to read him. And yet the process was thrilling. John Yao, did you immediately know how to read Ashbury? Oh, I didn't know. No, I was in a Bard College. I remember sitting in my dorm room, reading Fragment over and over again. I think finally at some point I was drinking bourbon and smoking pot and reading it over and over again, <laughs> thinking that would help me learn how to read it. I was thinking, wait, I'm taking classes in Wallace Stevens and James Joyce, and I know <laughs> what's going on with these two. How come I don't know what's going on with this? And that, I was hooked. I mean, I, I, I guess at, at 19, luckily for me, I was someone who thought if I didn't understand something, I should just keep at it. I mean, I didn't understand Gertrude Stein when I first read her, but I kept reading her because I felt like it did make sense. I just didn't know what sense it made. Exactly. Exactly, John. You know, for me, again, I have to tell the truth here. I went in and out of thinking that John Ashbery was the most extraordinary writer I'd ever read and almost simultaneously thinking that he was a fraud. This was a conversation that occurred with great frequency. Does John Ashbery mean anything? However brilliantly he does it, how do you make it meaningful? Well, of course, the writers you just mentioned, John Yao, Gertrude Stein, Wallace Stevens, are hard to read, but I think that John Ashbery is the king of the lot when it comes to incomprehension, and I'll go further. For me, he made incomprehension exciting, even more than Gertrude Stein, even more than the most theoretical and abstract Gertrude Stein. Now, Emily, how did you come to be able to read it? And was it safe to be in the room with the man you were assisting and not be certain how to read it? I teach creative writing, and and one of the ways you're taught how to quote-unquote close read a poem, right, is that you go in, you see what's happening, you extract the meaning. It's this very consumerist way of reading, of like unlocking the secret of the poem. And I love how much Ashbery's work resists that. You can't do that necessarily with an Ashbery poem. I will say, though, that while I was editing, some things happened that made me reconsider my idea of Ashbury as, as you say, this like kind of master of incomprehensibility, you know, there was the final manuscript, which is in the, in the book, which is called the Kane Richmond project. It follows a lot of different serial films and it kind of uses that serial form that Ashbury was so in love with in the movies. And he, he brings it onto the page, both formally and in, in terms of the content. And there was one place I noticed because he dated his entries and his dates were out of order. So I put them back in order. I put the sections back in chronological order thinking, oh, you know, I fixed something. But then I realized I had messed up this whole spy plot that he had going that I hadn't seen before because I wasn't reading for comprehensibility. A woman in the previous section had left her apartment and then in the next section she was supposed to be downstairs on the street. 
And he was telling a literal story and, and I had overstepped editorially. So I had to go back and kind of make that change. And so that was a really interesting moment for me because I was like, oh, I was reading John as if it's kind of usual stories filtering in and out and lots not being linear. But here was a moment smack dab in the middle of this very experimental poem that has narrative in it, where there was a narrative that I had inadvertently scrambled thinking that I was putting something back in its place. So it was really interesting because one of the things I've always loved about Ashbury is the way that he leaves room for the reader, right? To make associations among things. That's why he was, so, you know, he so resisted explaining his work because he wanted people to find their own way in the poem. I'm Michael Silverblatt and you're listening to KCRW's Bookworm. I'm talking with poet John Yao and editor-poet Emily Skillings, about iconic John Ashbery's posthumous book, Parallel Movement of the Hands, Five Unfinished Longer Works. We'll continue after this short break. I want to tell you about a new show from the Financial Times called Life and Art from FT Weekend, hosted by me, Lila Raptopoulos. Life and Art is twice a week. On Mondays, I have a guest on to talk about life and how to live a good one. Everything from winter travel to cooking to living more creatively. And on Fridays, we talk art. Two FT journalists and I discuss a piece of culture that's in the air. New music, movies, and more. Find Life and Art from FT Weekend wherever you listen. I'm Michael Silverblatt. This is Bookworm. And I'm talking with poet John Yao and poet editor Emily Skillings about the iconic poet John Ashbery's posthumous book, Parallel Movement of the Hands, Five Unfinished Longer Works, a glimpse inside the writings of a poet's poet in the 21st century. Now, it's my belief that anyone cannot know how to read John Ashbery, not just poets. He was a major source of bewilderment, and there's something lovely about bewilderment. His gifts with language were nonpareil. He could be funny in ways one never anticipated, and I gather that our guest, John Yao, is in the process of writing a book of essays about going to the movies with John Ashbery. John, what was that like? Well, we went to all kinds of movies. I remember we, he wanted to see a Jacques Rivette film that was about to uh, play in a little theater on Bleecker Street, and we went to that, and Jacques Rivette was there, and you, you've got to see the movie for the scene. And I'm sitting there and he goes, it's two men. They walk into a kind of a tavern and they sit down and have a few drinks. And then one man gets very angry at the other and hits him over the head with a beer mug. And the man dies at the table. And the other man keeps drinking and getting sadder and sadder that his only friend is now dead in front of him. And then he said, and then <laughs> the music starts playing. So he picks the man up and he starts dancing with him. And then John waits his classic Ashbury two seconds and says, now that's something I've never seen in the movies before. Two men dancing <laughs> and one of them is dead. Another moment that I remember 
is we're watching some noir movie in his apartment. And then he turns to me and goes, it was like that back then. And I said, it was like what? He said, it was all in black and white. <laughs> so he had a deep, deep love for movies. Michael, I'm so glad that you said a poet's poet, because that was a term that John actually used quite often. I think he called Elizabeth Bishop a writer's writer's writer. And then <laughs> he called David Schubert a poet's poet. He oh, said, yes. I'm just looking at this review. He said, I don't think it's demeaning to call Schubert a poet's poet a poet whom poets in particular treasure for the knowledge of the craft of poetry he can give to a practitioner of it, but also one whose work is open and available to everybody. He is always kindly and tactfully ushering us back to square one, reminding us that we have to start all over again at the beginning when we approach the writing or reading of poetry. And so I love that you use that term because it's one that he used himself. <laughs> I thank my producer for that. I wasn't sure whether that was a usable term or an implicitly insulting one. I think, as I say, that anyone can read John Ashbery or anyone can not read John Ashbery. Now, I had the great privilege of introducing my friend Guy Madden to John Ashbery. Guy is a filmmaker, a brilliant filmmaker, and Ashbery already admired his work. And I got to introduce the two of them. They worked on projects together. They did collages together. John had a play, a three-act play, called The Compromise. It was based on a Rintin Tin movie called Where the North Begins. And Guy Madden started talking to me all the time about Rinty, the nickname for Rintintin. I read that John Ashbery explained to Kenneth Koch that Rintintin was a great and unforgettable actor. What do you make of this lifelong fondness for Rintintin down even to his very final poems? I think. For him, seeing films when he was a kid growing up in upstate New York, it gave him a whole world, right? And a world that was different than the world he was living in, which I think was quite bleak. And then as his brother dies, he really becomes an only child. I don't think he was the favorite of the two. I think the father really liked the, the brother who died. I think John left lived a quite a lonely childhood. I think that gave him a whole world that he could live in and believe that he could live in. And I think that's really what happened with movies. And I think anytime he saw a movie, that magic came back. The filmmaker Michael Almereda made a beautiful film that was actually premiered at John's memorial at the 92nd Street Y about John's lifelong interest in movies and Karen Rothman's biography, The Songs We Know Best, that came out in 2017 also really goes into detail about this. But he says in the, in the film, in the Almereda film, I always felt I was being deprived of movies. And so he had this, you know, he, he would have to go into town to see them. And so he had this hunger to kind of consume them. And then he had this kind of encyclopedic memory of the images, right, that just really stayed with him. 
Um, and so I think that really came in handy and you can really see this in the Kane Richmond project, which was this approaching book length manuscript that he wrote in 2002 that's in, in the book. And in Rintintin, it's Rintintin Jr. is the, is the actor in the, in the material that he's referencing called The Adventures of Rex and Rinty, starring this very hunky B-movie serial actor, Kane Richmond, and Rex is a horse and Rinty's the dog, but then sometimes Rex becomes a dog too at a few points in the manuscript, which <laughs> is really funny. And Ashbury also had a poster of Rinton Tin above his stairwell in Hudson. Do you remember, John Yell, what was the name of the silent film magician that John would have spoken to me about at after one of his readings? There's the first filmmaker who was a magician, Melius. Yeah, we saw a lot of early, early films together at various points. He really loved those films. He liked, and he talks about this, he liked films where the machinery of the film is exposed as the film is being made, right? That for him, the true magician is the magician that shows you how he does it. And he still does it, and you still enchanted. What you just said reminds me of something that he said about Rivette um, in, in his essay on, on Rivette, on his, in his review of Out One Spectra, where, where he says, what makes the film a great one, in my opinion, is not the story, but the telling. Um, it, it's like, you know, it, it, you can't really follow the story, but the way that the story unfolds is what so, you know, sucked him in as a viewer. Another book that John recommended that became precious to me. Took a long time for the whole thing to be translated. It was called the Saragossa Manuscript. It was oh, said to be a... Yes, it was said to be a surrealist book, although it was written in the Saragossa area of Spain. And eventually, unbelievably, it was made into, I believe, a Polish movie. And John always regretted, he told me, that when he was asked to choose a movie to show at Harvard, that he didn't choose the Saragossa manuscript, because in its machinery, the machinery you were talking about, John, the machinery was so complex and so rich, characters regularly became twins for one another, died, woke up again, drank poison brews. It was an astonishing thing. And when I finally got to see the Saragossa manuscript, I think it's one of the great European films, and I think anyone would think so. But it's different from anything you know. I think John was deeply, essentially different from anything that preceded him. I think Karen Rothman did a brilliant job of giving us an Ashbury who was a child, enjoying puzzles, anagrams, all sorts of jokes. He was thrillingly and profoundly not the difficult guy that you get in biographies of Wallace Stevens. He's the thing that you watch John Ashbery grow into, the most playful writer who ever lived and who enjoys playing the games. That was thrilling to him when he was making 
um, collages. It was thrilling to him in putting the things around his house together. On the cover of this marvelous book, Parallel Movement of the Hands, you can see a shelf of Ashbery's pictures and art laid out next to each other. And I think you, Emily, have mentioned when you first came to see him, there were three or four things on a table, unknown, unknowable, but so beautifully combined together that you could never forget the combination. And that too, combining things with great originality, was the an essence of the art of John Ashbery. Do you remember that table, Emily? Yes, I remember it so well. And the, you know, it was this collection of black and white objects and I didn't really know what they were. There were these kind of antique black and white ceramic objects that were on this um, table in the entryway. And I, I saw them the, you know, the first time I went there and you continued to see them and continued to fell in, fall in love with not only Ashbury, but the way he surrounded himself with things. And actually the apartment is how I came to find these, most of these manuscripts. Um, uh, Kermani was, was leaving the apartment after Ashbury had passed and I was, I was packing up the manuscripts and some of his papers, and I came across these 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 poems that he had written in the you know the mid two thousands. The latest was two thousand seven, actually, so about ten years before he he passed away. And they were they were unfinished um, or had an aspect of unfinishedness. There there's a there's a scope of unfinishedness to the work. But I was so excited with them, and I think I was so mourning the loss the loss of him that um, I, I became very excited by these works. I got really excited thinking about if these, if these could, the works could have a life, you know, be, beyond, you know, being in a drawer. Here we are, the three of us, brilliant poet and critic John Yao, poet and editor Emily Skillings, myself, Michael Silverblatt, all of us, in love with our memories of John Ashbery on the occasion of the publication of Parallel Movements of the Hands, five unfinished longer works by John Ashbery. It's published by Echo. Thank you both for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael, for having us. It's really special. Yes, thank you very much. I, I have in my own home a shrine to Ashbery on which all of his books, photographs, anything he ever gave me, a shrine to John Ashbery is a rare and sacred thing as his work is rare and sacred. I want to tell my listeners that due to the pandemic, we are each taping remotely so you may hear unusual sounds. You can visit kcrw.com slash bookworm for a podcast of today's show, which is also available at Apple, Spotify, and all other podcast services. It can also be listened to on demand with KCRW smartphone apps. Special thanks to my Bookworm show collaborators, the beloved Alan Howard and Sean Sullivan, Engineer P.J. Shahamet comes in 
For his equal share of our love, I'm Michael Silverblatt. Join me again next time on Bookworm. I am a bookworm, he is a bookworm, she is a bookworm, we are all bookworms. Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. This program is produced in the studios of KCRW Santa Monica. You can access archives of all Bookworm programs and podcasts, the most recent ones, at kcrw.com bookworm. The Bookworm themes were composed and performed by Ron and Russell Mayle of Sparks. I want to tell you about a new show from the Financial Times called Life and Art from FT Weekend, hosted by me, Lila Raptopoulos. Life and Art is twice a week. On Mondays, I have a guest on to talk about life and how to live a good one. Everything from winter travel to cooking to living more creatively. And on Fridays, we talk art. Two FT journalists and I discuss a piece of culture that's in the air. New music, movies, and more. Find Life and Art from FT Weekend wherever you listen.